Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 324 of the Fun with Cars Motorsports Podcast, or episode 11 of 2022. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who needs to adjust his priorities, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris. Mate, the honeydew list always comes first, right? That's that's the golden rule of a married man, and then uh, and then everything else, you know, comes after that. You work five days a week in a row now. What is that? Why? <laughs> it is I'm not, Tuesday I'm not. evening. No, no excuses. It is Tuesday <laughs> evening, May third, and we're going to talk about the Italian Grand Prix, as well as the IndyCar race at Barber Motorsports Park in Indiana, and. The IMSA race at Laguna Seca in California. Chris, where shall we begin? I think we should talk about Carlos, the man oh, who... man, please do. ...got a new contract. He's got a contract extension until 2024. Yeah, multi-year. Um, and I think that's I, his first multi-year, maybe ever, but in a while anyway. I think it is a multi-year, but I think there's a very big clause which says that if he dumps it in the gravel of the next two Grand Prix, he's out on his ear. <laughs> I mean, were either one of him of those his fault, though? I mean, really? Tell me honestly. Well, we talked about the one in Australia, and I think we yeah. agreed that although there were some extenuating circumstances, it was his fault. Um, but I think, yeah, Daniel Ricciardo definitely helped uh, push him off into the gravel um, in Imola. And so he was a little unfortunate there. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't rain, it pours, right? But at least he's got a big, fat <laughs> bank balance, hey? Uh, yes, I mean, it'd be hard to think otherwise. And, you know, he said on the Beyond the Grid podcast not that long ago that he drives something like an Alfa Romeo or something. So, I mean, he's not he's not breaking the bank on his autos either, as far as I know. So uh, something tells me that he's got a couple pennies in his piggy bank yet. But, uh, yeah, it, it's been a bad couple of weeks. It, 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 it kind of reminds me a little bit of last year right after Esteban Ocon got his multi-year deal, three-year deal with Alpine. And mm. he just had a dreadful, dreadful few Grand Prix afterwards. But then he sorted out and ended up actually being a race winner um, that year. So, you know, hopefully the exact same will happen for Carlos Sainz and he will be a race winner in 2022. Yeah, I'm sure he doesn't want to emulate uh, Valtteri Bottas's uh, efforts from a couple of seasons ago, right, with the race-winning car, but no race win. I'm sure he's very keen to uh, rectify that. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, it, yeah, it, his his weekend was just uh, it was just hard to watch, let alone, I can only imagine, experience it him for himself. But, um, you know, were there, was there anything in qualifying that really stood out for you? Uh, well, it was rather chaotic, wasn't it, with all the red flags? I think that the really... Yeah, I think it was four at, at the end of it. I think so. It, it was, um, and some of them were a little premature, weren't they? I mean, when when uh, yeah, yes. Magnuson went off, um, they quickly got the red flag out, and then he was back out again. It's like, well, you yeah, could have just... Yeah, and Magnuson got to the pits under his own power, did not damage yeah. the car at all, and uh, yeah. ended up, after the red flag, he also went back out. Yeah, it was all rather absurd. I think the the big highlight for me was that we had seven different teams in the top ten, which is uh, which is pretty impressive. So we had Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren, Alpine, Alfa Romeo, Aston Martin, and Haas, all making it through uh, with one or other driver into Q three. So that's that's good for uh, the signs of competitiveness, at least uh, in Formula One. 
Magnuson, you brought him up. Not only did he get back on the red flag, he ended up qualifying fourth. Yeah, yeah, it was a stunning, stunning lap. He really, he really hooked it up. I mean, it was, it was a bit of a lottery, wasn't it? Depending on whether or not you you caught the the track in its optimum conditions and whether or not you didn't get it ruined by a flag. Um, and so certain people got that better than others. But uh, for sure, um, Magnussen was one of the winners there, as was, of course, Max Verstappen. Uh, you have to put Lando Norris in that category as well. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And, of course, all of this happened on a Friday. Mm. Yeah, but uh, Verstappen was on pole officially. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. And so this was the first sprint qualifying motor event. Uh, I'll just keep coming up with new names for it. That isn't the word race. (laughs) And it was the first one of the year where it was eight points for the top eight, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one points. Yeah. What did you think of that qualifying event? It wasn't, it wasn't entirely thrilling even though that you know there was a battle for the lead or the win of the sprint, um, and you had a couple of drivers out of position, namely uh, Carlos and Sergio, who who battled back up through the order, finishing uh, third and fourth. Um, so there was some overtaking, but yet it, for me it just wasn't that compelling. I don't know. I don't know why I wasn't very gripped by it. Well, um, the start but, of it was quite interesting. I mean, as you said, Max Verstappen did start on pole, but he did not last there very long at all. Um, uh, Charles Leclerc had an excellent start, got right around him, and it seemed to be his sprint qualifying motor event for much of it. But then towards the last, I don't know, third or quarter of that race, oh, shoot, I said the word, um, <laughs> Verstappen started reeling him in. And then before we know it, I think it was four laps to go, he was within DRS range. And that just put tons of pressure on Claire. And that that would have been really hard to hold off for that many laps. Yeah, the Red Bull just seems to be by far the quickest car in a straight line, particularly with DRS. It seems like it's almost impossible to defend. I think Leclerc had some graining, didn't he? And so he, he really started to lose pace towards the end of the, the sprint. Um, which kind of gave uh, the initiative to, to Max Verstappen, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it was good to see it was good to see a battle at least at, for the front for the for the win of the sprint because of course more points were handed out um, in this edition. So Verstappen got eight points, uh, Leclerc seven. Uh, so you're not battling; it's not a huge differential, but obviously every point counts. Um, and uh, points were paid out all the way down to eighth place. So Magnussen got got a single point for his efforts. He slipped back through. Through down the order um, from his qualifying spot of fourth, as you mentioned earlier, to own to eighth. But yeah, for some reason, I still didn't really find it that exciting. But there we go. Maybe uh, the GP, I think, was the GP proper was definitely better. Well, it, I, I just I, I have a suspicion why it was a bit of a sleeper for you, and that was there were no lorries after the fact. <laughs> they just. They just like they just got on a podium and, and talked. What what was that? I mean, there was no movement at all. Um, yeah, I, I listen. I've been kind of ho hum about these uh, qualifying events for the entirety of their existence, and uh, yeah, I this didn't change it in in any relative in any significant way for me. So uh, I'm I'm kind of with you. I prefer. I'm finding the traditional race weekend format myself, but you know it it was it was interesting and 
what it was, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it was just a mega, mega weekend for Red Bull for them to just swallow up a whole lot of points that, you know, on a normal weekend that they would not have benefited as much as they did. Yeah, it was a stunning, stunning effort by the whole Red Bull team, really, and both drivers. I mean, what would you call it? A super grand slam when you get pole, um, the sprint win, the race win, and fastest lap. I mean, grand slam doesn't do it justice, does it? But uh, yeah, it's what the Verstappen needed. The grandier slam? <laughs> the, the grandest slam. The grandest um, slam, the grand slam slam, grand grand slam. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll noodle that one. Yeah, I mean, there's Verstappen, you know, lamenting that his championship chances are basically gone after Australia. And here he comes, you know, scoops up points like nobody's business and, uh, and put the pressure right back on, on Charles. So uh, Red Bull did bring an upgrade, uh, you know, not a super huge upgrade, but they certainly brought one to Imola. Um, we, in, you know, when many of the other teams were running pretty much the same configuration that they started the season with. Uh, and it didn't seem to hurt, did it? So Red Bull... Look fairly ominous, you know. The car's quick. I mean, it hasn't been that reliable, but it's been quick. They're already bringing upgrades to the to the car, and they appear to be working. So, if they can just uh, and they had flawless reliability, to be fair, at Imola. So, if they can if they can keep the reliability going and they can keep the development pace going, then you know it's, they're going to be tough to beat for sure. Yeah, I think that's certainly right. And you know, everyone's been talking about how strong Ferrari's been, and is Ferrari becoming unbeatable? And here we are in northern Italy. I mean, I don't know what the distance is, but I think it's within an hour or so of Marinello. And Ferrari just has a dreadful, dreadful weekend. So all this buildup, all this momentum, all this positive Ferrari conversations going on, they get to their home soil and just, oh, it's just dreadful, dreadful. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, you, you it's this is this is that uh, this is that plot twist in the movie where things are going too well almost. So you know something's coming up, and boy oh boy, it was a bit on the nose this one. Well, yeah. So they're still leading both championships, right? And okay, Saints was a was a disaster in the race, um, but I do like I do like the fact that Charles was not willing to settle for third. You know, he had an easy podium and uh, they decided to come in, change tyres again. They forced Red Bull to react. So they brought, obviously, Carlos, uh, not Carlos, sorry, Sergio, and then uh, and then Max in. So they're all on fresh, soft rubber. And and Charles went for it, you know, and, he, and as he said himself, he got a little greedy um, through the chicane, uh, launched the car, put it in the barriers, was lucky to continue. But I I do applaud that uh, that effort to to not just settle to to go and try and get you know maybe at least a second place you know it's cost them a few points but i think that spirit of not being willing to to settle at this stage that they really want to fight they know that they will have a long fight this season so they're going to really maximize their opportunities and go for every opportunity and i think that's that's to be applauded and, and i hope it pays off for them actually yeah no i i completely agree with you and we what we definitely have um, if nothing else changes, we have two strong teams at the front to compete against each other, and that's really fantastic to see. And we also have enough b- 
big chunks of development going on that there could still be some major shifts coming. Um, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but you know, I've Mercedes does plan on bringing a fairly significant upgrade to the next Grand Prix. And I'm purposefully not saying the name of that Grand Prix um, just yet. I'm trying to – I don't know what I'm trying to do. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the thing that stood out for me actually was Mercedes. And that was the gap in pace between the two teammates. You know, fourth place for Russell, 14th – no, 13th after the penalty for Hamilton. Oh, man. That, that one was rough. Yeah. When you look at the result. Um, like that, it was, uh, you know, you could say what what has happened to Hamilton. And it was interesting how some former F1 drivers um, didn't pull any punches in their criticism of Hamilton uh, post-race. Uh, <laughs> they were know, probably <laughs> very excited for that moment. Yeah, Nico Rosberg in his interview with George Russell, you know, he was basically, you know, Russell gave a very diplomatic answer saying, you know, we're, we're trying to sort the car out. We're all working together. You know, uh, Lewis Lewis had a rough weekend. I, you know, I didn't really drive any better than him. And, and Nico was like, what are you talking about, dude? You know, you blew him away. You should uh, blow your own trumpet. But I think the reality, the reality is that there was, um, you know, a little bit of good fortune, I think, with Russell and misfortune for Hamilton. Um, they, their qualifying times were not reflective of their actual qualifying effort because they were both on warm-up laps. Um, before one of the red flags came out, and they never managed to complete a, a lap. So what you what you were comparing there in their official qualifying times is their warm up time, and of course that's that wasn't intended to be their their ultimate uh, Q two lap. So so not really necessarily fair to compare those. I mean the records state that uh, Russell was about four tenths up on Hamilton, but again you know is that really Hamilton's ultimate pace? And then we had this weird situation in the in both the sprint and the race where. Yeah, Lewis got stuck in this DRS train, and we had the fantastic sight actually of a Williams with uh, Alexander Albon being unpassable. And yeah, um, that you know, was really yeah, something. It was crazy, and I mean, you could argue that Lewis, being the racer he is, should have found a way past Gasly somewhere else on the on the track. You know, obviously he couldn't couldn't get it done with the DRS, so try and look for a pass somewhere else. But Imola's such a narrow track. And, you know, clearly he never quite had the opportunity um, to, to make a move stick. And, and he was totally stitched up by Ocon in the pits. So, you know... It oh, sounds for like, sure there. 100% there. Yeah. It sounds like I'm here as, as, a, as a, a spokesman for the Lewis Hamilton Defence Club. But, you know, ultimately, could you rave about his performance? No, you cannot. Should you get too excited about it? No, you shouldn't. Um, and, you know, George definitely did it, you know, took his chance... And did a good job, um, but I think it could easily have been the other way around if the cards had fallen slightly differently. And who was George Russell behind and ahead? He was behind Lando Norris in the McLaren. Think about where McLaren was in Bahrain versus where they just showed at Imola. Okay, with one of their drivers in Imola. That, I mean... That's some real progress in development of that McLaren. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, McLaren, uh, you know, they're not uh, they're not obviously able to compete right at the front, but it has been quite a turnaround from the start of their season. And uh, hopefully, 
you know, they can keep developing their car and, and get closer to the uh, to the front and challenge Ferrari and Red Bull sometime soon. But and, and Lando's doing a great job of uh, of maximising what he's got at the moment. And to be fair, you know, Daniel Ricciardo's not far behind either. So so it's definitely good that we've got the two McLaren drivers up there and competitive. But I mean, Russell yeah, Ricciardo, real quick, let me just say about Ricciardo. He they took kind of a gamble with his uh, pit strategy. He went on to the hards pretty darn early, and it just didn't play out. They, they, it was a risk, and the risk didn't get rewarded this this time around. So that was part of it. Yeah, but he damaged his race anyway by hitting Carlos at Nape. So that's oh, why sure. they rolled yeah, the dice. No, yeah, that, yeah. That, that definitely played a role. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I, once that happened, you know, they, they were they were trying to get cheeky, and it just didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, but the man that really came to life was Valtteri Bottas, right? I mean, he was really pushing George Russell. I was, um, yeah, exactly. So he finished behind Russell, but he was actually nudging him as he went. I mean, it was close. Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily they didn't come together as spectacularly as they did last season. But, um, yeah, but nudging, yeah, I mean... Nudging emotionally, maybe? I don't know. I'm not... I, I, Bottas seems to be... His move to Alfa Romeo has been vindicated multiple times over in just the first few Grand Prix. It's been really something. Yeah. Well, it's great to see Alfa Romeo or, or Sauber um, really coming back to life, right? Because they've, they've had a couple of years in the wilderness, a little bit like has. And um, they also have, have made good on, on the reset. You know, they, they hired a, a, a fairly well-known quantity, you know, a very fast driver. We know Botas. Uh, on one lap is pretty close to Hamilton's pace, so he's he's no slouch, and and he's really seemed to be uh, enjoying his new lease of life there. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get a podium at some point this year. Actually, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, depending on how the development cycle goes, uh, it certainly certainly and well and luck, of course, it's certainly yeah, possible. Exactly. And, and Charles Leclerc, he did salvage what could have been a complete disaster and did finish in the points. He did get sixth place. He made it the best he could. And I, I completely agree with you to, to just really work hard for that second place, trying to maximize at every moment. You, you have to respect it. Uh, you know, and I think, I think that um, hopefully the, there's enough Ferrari fans out there that are, making that sentiment clear because he should not be in any way punished for trying to get the Ferrari car as high up as possible. Absolutely. I thought uh, Sonoda had a strong weekend. I mean, in tricky conditions. I mean, remember, the race started wet, right? And uh, it slowly dried out. We didn't have DRS uh, until lap 34. Um, so, you know, tricky old old conditions throughout the weekend. And yet, you know, Sonoda in only his second season... Um, certainly did a much better job over the weekend than his, his more illustrious race-winning teammate, Pierre Gasly. So uh, I thought uh, that was good because he, he had a tough old season, didn't he, Sonoda, last year? You know, he started well and then seemed to drop off and make a lot of mistakes. So I think he hasn't didn't really start this year with a bang, but this is definitely the strongest performance he's put in for quite a while, I think. Well, I, I think the team as a whole, the Alpha Tauri, has looked a bit lackluster. To it compared to itself last season, you know, it seemed like they were one of the teams that took a step back, and uh, this was a bit a small one, but a bit of resurgence for that team. Um, you know, Gasly was showing some potential in qualifying, but just as you were mentioning, there was a 
there were just quite a few variables playing a role in what we saw on the timesheets versus what the ultimate pace of every team is. And uh, Shinoda had a good race to you know, put himself in the position he was, and he made a few respectable passes on track as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. So, uh, no, no, nice to see him you know, maximize his weekend. Uh, but I was really pleased that Aston Martin got in the points. You know, we had Vettel in Twice eight, over. In and Stroll in 10th, yeah. And they didn't hit each other. They didn't hit the two feet. <laughs> <laughs> High bars, you said, Chris. High bars. <laughs> no, I mean, they looked uh, they looked decent. They seemed to have, have sorted out the car a little bit and, and showed, uh, you know, reasonable pace, at least around Imola. So I, I thought every... Vettel was driving with more confidence than we'd seen mm. all season. So... Certainly better than Australia, boy. But uh, you yeah. know, this this was a big improvement. Yeah, he was he was looking pretty feisty in qualifying. It was almost like the old Vettel, wasn't it? Um, he uh, he struggled in the sprint. I'm not quite sure exactly what happened to him, but he lost a bunch of places, but yet managed to recover in the race. So um, yeah, a strong weekend from Seb, and so good that uh, we now had all ten teams score by the fourth round of the season. It, you're right, except that it does put Williams in tenth again. That part's a bit of a bummer. Yeah, but I, I feel good with Albon showing good pace and, and decent performance. Yeah, well, and he was, he, he know, was just outside of the points again today, uh, th- yeah. this past weekend, yeah. Yeah, so it's not like we have any team now, you know, way off the back. And, and any weekend, it appears that, you know, you, you have a chance of maybe scoring points if you if you set your car up well and, and, and uh, have a strong race. So... Uh, Albon certainly seems to be enjoying his uh, return to Formula One. Um, Latifi, you know, less so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Albon's I, having a good old time. Albon, I, Albon is showing everyone that, yes, he deserves an F1 seat. Yes, he deserves to be one of the 20. I, th- I think he's he's showing that with his actions, absolutely. And uh, I, I'm very happy to see that. What did you think about... Um Fernando Alonso's uh, revised uh, side pod geometry. Did you, did you think that helped their pace? Oh, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> it seemed like, oh, man, Alonso's falling back. What's wrong? It's like, oh, there's a huge hole in half his car. Ah, yeah, that, that could do it. <laughs> it wasn't exactly massive contact from Schumacher on, on Alonso's side pod, was it? But yet the thing seemed to just disintegrate rapidly. Um, not quite it, sure. It seemed like using... Schumacher found the, found the, uh, the stress point of, the, of that. <laughs> part of the side pod right I, yeah it, it was just like the kiss of death kind of yeah it was like maybe they make it out of cardboard not carbon fiber it's a little <laughs> bit dubious <laughs> well i'm you know hey it's it's now cost cap you know you have to find you have to cut costs wherever you can so yeah it, it was a shame for alonzo i mean he's one of the most exciting drivers to see race on track this year and uh you know and he's brought us great racing for the first, what is it, four rounds now. So, yeah, it was definitely sad to see him go, but, you know, obviously for reasons outside of his control. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, can we talk about the race you don't want to name now? <laughs> Not just yet, because I do want to I do want to say, I want to finish with that. Um, and I want to say real quick that I had a fantastic conversation with uh, Ricky Taylor, He's always good to talk to, and we had a really interesting conversation, not just about the racing, but we dug into the cars a little bit and how the DPI cars function and how their aero works and a little bit about ride height sensitivity. And there's actually kind of a more, there's more of a relationship between IMSA 
and Formula One than there have been in a while because uh, in the DPI cars also run tunnels and have Venturi effect and all that. And uh, the Orica chassis especially is really effective when its Venturi tunnels are working well. Yeah. And so we were able to dive into that from the driver's perspective a little bit. And sure enough, he's like, yeah, Laguna Seca is a more friendly track to him. Ricky Taylor put the car on pole. He led the first part of the race, handed it over to his teammate. His teammate won the race. So it was an accurate one-two. And uh, Wayne Taylor Racing won that race. So I'm giving at least 75% of the credit to us, um, Fun With Cars, for um, giving him that like good vibes bump. So you're welcome, Ricky Taylor. Has Ricky requested that you interview him before every other race? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the part I didn't quite mention the last time we talked was before. It's 12 hours of Sebring. 12 hours of Sebring didn't go quite so well, but we hadn't hadn't put it. We hadn't put that into effect yet, so I'm assuming yes that he's going to want to talk to me every time now. Um, and that's I'll just make those appointments with that assumption going forward. Um, but also um, the same day, May first, IndyCar uh, had their race at Barber Motorsport Park. So not only did McLaren get a podium at Imola the following weekend, they went ahead and won a race in IndyCar because it was Pato Award that. Uh, took their car to victory. So the uh, McLaren Aero SP, Aero's McLaren Aero SP, won a race. And so it is, you know, nice to see the McLaren competitive, nice to see Pato get another race win, and, uh, you know, kind of start to spread out the teams and drivers that are getting victories in IndyCar. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, 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 I do want to mention that Zach Brown gave an interesting interview where he's talking up... Uh, the likes of Colton Herter and uh, Pato Award as being, uh, you know, future F1 drivers. So I wonder if, uh, I think Daniel's contract, current contract, ends next season, doesn't it? So maybe one of those two is in the frame for a McLaren seat in 2024. Well, Pato has made no bones about it. I mean, he very much wants a Formula One drive. And, you know, he, being with McLaren, that's clearly on his mind. So that surprises me not at all. Colton, that one's that one's a little bit more interesting. I'm certainly happy that Zach Brown is saying that. I think that's right. You know, Colton does seem to be getting a little bit impatient. Like he's obviously got the raw pace, but he's starting to look a little bit more like a younger Will Power where he kind of gets himself in trouble because he's trying to pass in some places, sometimes places where you just can't pass. Right? Like, you know, two cars don't fit into this slot, and he tries anyway. Yeah, I mean, it um, must be tough when he clearly got the pace, but sometimes the Andretti's not quite at the level of a Penske or a Ganassi, and uh, yeah, maybe he's still finding it hard to deal with on those weekends. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. But it was a great race at Barber, as it always was, and, you know, to see uh, McLaren. Uh, take the win at, with Pato was really great. And then it was Alex Palau in uh, the Ganassi car finished second. He's the reigning champion. And Renus VK, whose real name is not VK, um, put the car on pole and ended up on the podium. And it was, in fact, Will Power, who started way down. He started 19th. He finished fourth. Scott Dixon, fifth. And uh, Scott McLaughlin, who's had a fantastic season, ended up finishing sixth ahead of uh, Romain Grosjean, who was seventh. 
and uh, Graham Ray Hall in eighth, Rossi in ninth, and Colton Herta did in fact finish tenth. So there were those results. One thing I did notice, we hadn't talked much about him, but Callum Mylott is doing, uh, I, I think, the majority of IndyCar races this season, isn't he? And he was uh, pretty good in F2. Uh, he was in the mix for the championship when Mick uh, won it a couple of years ago. And he was a Ferrari development driver, was, you know, rumoured to be in the frame for either, what you know, the Haas or the Alfa Romeo seat. And he didn't get either, obviously. And so now he's, um, he's, he's trying his hand at IndyCar. But I noticed... He actually showed some signs of competitiveness um, in Alabama. And uh, I think he qualified in the top 10, and he was running in the top 10 for quite a while. I think he dropped qualified, down the order of the Qualified end. 11th, yeah. Oh, did he? Well, that's yeah. almost top 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he qualified first in the second half of, uh, of the top 10. In the second top 10, he was first. Top of the second top 10, like it. Yeah. and uh, yeah. But uh, it just shows that... Um, you know, what are we, third, third, fourth race into, into the IndyCar season? It looks like he's starting to find a little bit of pace because he'd been a bit anonymous uh, in prior races and I was actually starting to wonder if he was actually turning up. But it looks like yeah. he's um, starting to show some of that inherent F2 pace that he'd uh, previously shown. So it's, that's good. I mean, Appreciate it's such it. a strong such a strong field with such talent yeah. and, and young talent as well. It really is, uh, it really is an, an amazing driver lineup in IndyCar this year. And and the and the racing is just it's just phenomenal. I mean, the without DRS, we get lots of passing. And well, you push to pass. That's not DRS. Did I say no push to pass? It's 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 totally different. But it is actually different though because you can use it whenever you want. I mean, you can use it in the middle of a corner if you want. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can. And uh, both drivers can use it whenever they want, so they can defend with it as well. And it's uh-huh. used for defense as often as it's used for offense. And uh, what you get is you get a time limit of it. So it's way better is my point. Well, but it's still an artificial means of spicing up the racing, isn't it? So You're I an artificial you... means of spicing up the racing, Chris. <laughs> I want to hear it. Okay, carry on. So <laughs> you with your job. Ugh. Um. So Miami. Everyone is going to Miami. In fact, most of them are already there. I am reeling because I thought the race was being held in the parking lot of a large stadium, but apparently not. Apparently, it's weaving its way through some sort of harbour that's just been built in a, <laughs> in a parking lot in Miami. Have you, have you seen the footage of the fake, the, the fake harbour they built? Oh, God. I, no... I, I will see it. I will see it Friday or Saturday when I tune in for the for practice and qualifying. I, I look. I'm excited that everyone's excited, but you know this still frustrates me to my core. You know Daniel Ricardo. We mentioned him earlier. You know Daniel Ricardo was on the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He was interviewed. Um, he was there. You know their interview eight minutes there, and you know he said it very bluntly. It's like look. Drive to Survive, it's on its fourth season, and uh, and Formula One racing is blown up in the U.S. as a result. And it's true. I it's 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 just true, and it's frustrating. But it but it's I mean you know it's better it's better to get people's attention however you can I suppose. And so it's worked. And uh, you know now we've got the Miami Grand Prix. We're going to have a third event next year. 
theoretically. I mean, yeah. So that part of it is for the good, I suppose. I just wish, and I know it can happen for a myriad of reasons, I just wish we had more CODA-type races as opposed to Gymkhana-type races. Well, so uh, Bottas has driven the track uh, through the simulation tool that they have at Alfa Romeo slash Salber, and he was uh, apparently raving about it. He thinks it's a great track. So I think we should uh, give it a chance and let's see let's see how it, it works out and forget the fact that it is in the parking lot uh, until and we can we can condemn it after after we have a dull race if that happens to be the case. I mean, I do. Um, it does look like they've they've gone to extraordinary lengths. I mean, the comparison I think Will Buxton tweeted comparison between the Vegas parking lot and, and the Miami car parking lot, and it, it is night and day. So they've thrown a lot of money at it. Look, everyone's excited to go to Miami, and um, I'm sure the fans that show up have spent a lot of money to get to go to the Grand Prix. Will enjoy themselves, and hopefully, we'll get a great race, and uh, and we'll see if it's successful or not. There is there's some great food in Miami. There's some great culture in Miami. There's a lot of pluses about Miami, certainly. Um, some lovely, lovely hotels. So there's all kinds of positives about Miami, and we'll see how the uh, street course stacks up to all of those positives so um but the good news is do you want to know the really good news chris is it that you have a new youtube video my gosh how did you guess (laughs) even if the miami race is such a snoozer i've got such a fantastic youtube video for everyone to watch it just was released this afternoon it is the subaru outback wilderness so this extra off-roady version of the Subaru Outback, which is technically an SUV, even though it looks an awful lot like a station wagon. And to be fair, it has nine and a half inches of ground clearance and all-terrain tires. And that makes it more off-road worthy than a lot of actual SUVs or crossover SUVs, however you want to define them. Hang on a second. So it's called an Outback, which is obviously in Australia. Correct. And now they've added Wilderness which it could be anywhere, but do because you really need the to Outback is a little bit like suburban, so they were trying to like you know. <laughs> so make it's going to be like, no, no, no. This is the outskirts of the Outback, Outback Wilderness Sahara <laughs> edition. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, see, uh, the, uh, so so yeah, was it fun to drive? No, it's not fun to drive. I mean, if you <laughs> like roads. It's not fun to drive. But if you are if you don't like roads and you want to go off of them, this is very capable of doing that. No, I so I did, as I, as I often do uh, on my videos these days, I do a handling portion of the video. And I do sincerely, there, there are a couple moments where I think I laugh out loud. So, <laughs> <laughs> look, it's all-terrain tires. It's a softly sprung thing. It's it's just not meant to. But I mean, look, it the handling the the balance is actually pretty neutral because you have such low levels of grip. The rear end will give up pretty early, and um, you've got good power. It's a turbocharged 2.4 liter engine, 260 horsepower, 277 pound feet of torque. I think it is. So you know, it's stout, and uh, yeah, it, it's 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 it has a lot of advantages, but driving dynamics is not one of them. Do they still sell the WRX in the US? Yes. Perfect. So I forgive them for the Outback Wilderness. Well, and they also have the <laughs> they have the BRZ, which is of course their version of uh, the Toyota GR86, which was once just the 86, which was once 
you know, a different name altogether. But, um, you know, Scion FRS. But, um, you know, so they have a couple of uh, proper driver's cars in their stable, certainly. And, uh, you know, this serves a different purpose. And I think it serves that purpose well. It's just for people like you and me, it's it's not our purpose. Yeah, it'll stay in the wilderness as far as I'm concerned. But the video is amazing. That is the point. And for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Oh, Chris, so nice of you to take a few moments away from your busy work schedule with your job. Let's go, Miami. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. <laughs> Did I lay it on too thick, the job stuff? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs>